You're listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and I'm being joined by Bob Bunn. Bob was with us a couple of weeks ago, and he's rejoining us this week. We're going to be looking at session eight of our summer 2022 study of First and Second Kings. Bob, thank you for being back with us this week. My pleasure. We're looking at Second Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, and the main idea here is that God heals, and we're looking at Naaman seeking a miracle. Uh, there are four points that we've identified in this passage desperate, directed, disappointed, and delivered. That first section, desperate, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5 of Second Kings. In this particular section, the commander of Aram's army, Naaman, he was successful and respected, but he had a skin disease. A captured young Israelite girl told Naaman's wife about a prophet who could help. So Aram sent Naaman to the king of Israel with gifts and a letter requesting that Naaman be cured of the skin disease. For us, we can understand that God uses relationships to bring about his purposes. Point number two is directed, which is verses 7 through 10. The king interprets the letter to be a trick to start a battle. Elisha saw this as an opportunity to announce the presence of God's prophet. Naaman stood at Elisha's door, accompanied by his horses and chariots. Elisha sent a messenger who directed Naaman to wash in the Jordan River seven times to have his skin restored. For us, we can understand that believers can view challenges as divine opportunities to demonstrate God's character. The fourth point, verses 11 and 12, we've entitled Disappointed. Naaman angrily left the residence of Elisha. He questioned the washing in the Jordan, having expected Elisha to personally come out, pray, wave his hands, and cure the skin. There's a warning here for us, and that's that pride gets in the way of experiencing God's help. The fourth thing is delivered. Fourth point is delivered. Verses 13 through 14 of chapter five. Naaman's servant pointed out the simplicity of the directions given by Elisha. Naaman went to the Jordan, washed himself seven times as directed by Elisha through the messenger. Naaman's skin was restored and he was clean. The main point for us to think about in those two verses is that healing awaits those who obediently follow God's direction. And Bob, we're going to need to talk more about that idea about how, how God heals us uh, and how we should understand that. Now, let's begin with this idea of skin disease. Leprosy, as we think of it today, is maybe different. And you see different ways it's explained. So help us think through about this idea of leprosy. Technically, we don't know exactly what kind of skin disease it was. It, it, um, we say it's leprosy because a lot of the older translations say leprosy, but a lot of the newer translations just call it a skin disease. And leprosy was a broad kind of term uh, back then. But here's what we do know, that uh, it, it's, it, it very well could have been leprosy because of the angst that it created in the life of, of Naaman. I mean, he was worried about this. And apparently even the servant girl understood the significance of it because she was willing to speak up and share the king of, of Aram. Uh, Naaman's boss understood. Um, and so he was willing to send his, his top soldier 
uh, into enemy territory to try to get a healing for this. So it, it, whether it was literally leprosy or whether it was something else, it was a serious situation. And leprosy itself, uh, we don't we don't think a lot about it because we don't understand it. We don't see we don't see it a lot these days. Um, it's called Hansen's disease now. But uh, back in the in, in the ancient civilization, it was incredibly frightening to to contract leprosy. Um, it, it was it was essentially in some ways it was a death sentence because there was no cure. Uh, there was nothing you could do about it. But even beyond the physical side of it was the emotional and the spiritual side of it because you would live in isolation. Um, especially in, in the Jewish world, uh, the law basically said that that lepers were outcasts, that they had to stay away from their families, that they had to stay away from their homes, that they had to stay away from everything that um, that had been familiar to them. And not only that, but, but spiritually, they were not allowed to, to come to the temple. And so they there's there was a stigma there as well. Um, and we even see this in New Testament at times too, with with lepers that Jesus encountered. And, you know, Jesus was, was, was amazing in the way he was, he would reach out and touch lepers to heal them. Uh, but he would also tell them to go and show themselves to the priests and obey the law. But it, it was just that kind of disease. It was that kind of, and all of this was wrapped up in this fear and this anxiety and this hopelessness. And so, you know, for Naaman, even as a, as a Syrian, as an Aramean, he may not have been living under the law. Of, of Israel at the time, but it was still a burden for him. It was still something that frightened him. It was still something that that he that he wanted relief from, that he wanted healing from. I think one of the things that we, as we think about this passage, uh, again, we don't we don't necessarily walk down the street and come across lepers all the time, but there are still the outcasts in our world. There are still people who are stigmatized. There are still people who are feeling isolated, who are feeling hopeless. Who are feeling like they've lost everything that's familiar to them, you know? and so let's not get too caught up in in the specifics of the disease and miss the point that that God probably brings people along our paths every day that we could be healing, that we could bring some healing to, that we could bring some hope to. Um, again, Jesus, if we follow the example of Jesus, Jesus ministered to whoever he came across, and he it didn't bother him one way or the other. He just did it. And in a, in a lot of ways, I think we've lost that a little bit. And it would be it'd be good for us to, to kind of remind ourselves that no one is really hopeless and no one is really beyond God's cure and God's help. And uh, he may have brought someone in our path specifically so that we could point them to him and, and give them some kind of help, uh, help and healing each day. You noted the family history, the lineage of Naaman, which would have made him a Gentile. Why is that important in this story? Part of the thing you need to remember as you, as you think about that question is the context. Let's go back to the context of the books that we're looking at, First and Second Kings. Who, who, when were they written and who were they written to? Uh, I think our, our resources do a pretty good job in their introductions, and the readers and listeners will probably remember that, uh, and most likely, we don't know 100% for sure, but most likely, these were probably written, they were written as one book that were divided later, but they were probably written maybe during the exile or at least soon after the exile. So they were written to a group of people who were under Gentile domination. They've been, they've been hauled away from their homeland 
because of their sin. Uh, you know, the Assyrians knocked out the northern kingdom in 722 and scattered them all over the Middle East. Uh, the Babylonians came in and got, got the southern kingdom in 586 to 587 BC and, and hauled a bunch of them to Babylon. So these were people who were living under the domination of Gentiles. On top of that, they, they had this idea that they were God's chosen people and then nobody else mattered. Um, and so those two things combined would have required them to have this huge mental paradigm shift for them to, to really grasp this idea that, hey, God was compassionate to a Gentile. What's up with that? Why? <laughs> you know, how could he do that? Well, he did do it. And it really shouldn't have come as a surprise because God has been saying all along from the very beginning, all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed. That's why he told Abraham. You know, through your descendants, through your offspring, everybody's going to be blessed. He, he, he's been introducing people like Rahab, who was from Jericho, people like Ruth, who is from Moab. And they, they not only were included in the Israelite community, but they were included in the line of David, the king. <laughs> you know, and, and so the whole time God's been saying, I want you to be a light to these people. I don't want you to shut them out. I don't want you to ostracize them. I don't want you to, 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 to turn your backs on them. I want you to, to show them what's real, to show them what's true. And the thing is, Jesus was still trying to teach this same principle centuries later. Because in Luke chapter 4, he points specifically to Naaman and says, hey, Naaman was a Gentile, yes. Naaman was a leper, yes. But you know what? Naaman was faithful. Naaman was obedient. And there was a lot of lepers in that time, including Jewish lepers, who would have loved to have been healed, but they didn't turn to God. Naaman did, however imperfectly he might have done at the beginning. He trusted God, and he received a healing for it. And so Jesus was still trying to, um, to try, trying to help people understand that faithfulness and obedience has a whole lot more to do with the relationship with God and ethnicity. And so... It, it would have been a stunning lesson for the for the Israelites. It would have been kind of like the Good Samaritan for for New Testament uh, folks. Um, it, it was just one of those times where God turned the story on its head and and came out with an unexpected plot ending. You mentioned Luke four twenty seven. That's the key to the Bible skill. We're encouraging the Bible skill to review that passage in Luke and the surrounding verses, and then note how Jesus referenced Naaman as an illustration. The idea in the leader guide is for us to assign this uh, this Bible skill to the group of folks we are teaching and allow them to answer the two the first two questions, assign it to pairs or three groups of three, depending on our class size, whatever, and ask them to answer the question, what was the point uh, being made by Jesus? And how did the healing of Naaman demonstrate that Jesus's point was true prior to his coming? Have them discuss that in, in pairs, as I noted, and then call them all together, let them share insights they gained, and then call them all together and discuss the third question that's posed in the Bible skill, which was how does the Luke passage help us better understand the significance of Naaman's healing? Which then brings in this conversation that we're talking about here. I would do the Bible skill as the last thing. I would finish going through the passage and then do the Bible skill as the conclusion then move into the application. That way it ties the lesson to a nice bow, helps us understand too uh, that this story is a story that goes beyond just this time in history, but it's a story that Jesus was aware of and that Jesus used to illustrate the importance of faith uh, to people that were uh, in his life. You know, Naaman 
initially preferred the spectacular. He was hoping something big would happen here. Why might we prefer the spectacular over a simple thing like go wash yourself and be clean? Yeah, he really got his nose out of joint because he didn't see the fireworks. And that's really kind of a kind of interesting. And and one of his one of his servants had to talk him off the ledge a little bit. But I think we're all like that. Um, we all like to have a good story. And when we're talking, sitting around the water cooler or sitting around the table at lunch or something, we're swapping stories. You know, it's just our natural tendency to try to tell a story that tops whoever told the last one. And I think there's a little bit of that in what we see with Naaman here. Um he was, I remember when I was younger as a, uh, first became a believer as a teenager, um, you know, I've been raised in church. I've been, I've been, I grew up in church. My mom and dad were believers and, you know, I was, a, I had Bible drill and Sunday school and what we used to call training union and all that stuff that, you know, I, I was a part of all that stuff. But I didn't become a believer until I was, until I was 16. And so, um, you know, for me, I just kind of looked around and thought, you know, my testimony is kind of boring. I grew up in a church and all, you know, and stuff, and I kind of felt bad about it. And so whenever I would share my testimony, I would always try to make it sound more dramatic. Well, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I was in this situation and, and it wasn't until I was 16 that I really heard God's voice. And, you know, I could have died before I turned 16. And I was just trying to make the story sound better. And it wasn't because, you know, I, I think I was trying to be, and we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we talked about sincerity. Uh, I think I was trying to be sincere, but I was also, there was a part of me that was, it was about me, not about who it was. And so, you know, we all have that tendency to kind of like the, the fireworks. We all kind of like to have the, the big catch at the end of the story. And, and Naaman just, for whatever reason, he kind of lost his perspective. And it was almost as if he, he wanted to go back to, it was more important for him in some ways to go back to Syria with a story than it was to go back without his leprosy. And then for a moment, he sort of, he sort of lost his, his priorities there. And so, and I think that's, we'll talk about his servants maybe in a minute, but they kind of said, Hey, now let's wait. And why did we come here in the first place and kind of readjusted his perspective? But that's sort of what, you know, Naaman just wanted a big story. He wanted that, but we also, I know our resources also hit on the idea of expectations. And the text says that the Naaman said to himself, you know, this whole trip over here, I've been thinking to myself that this needs to happen this way and that, you know, he needs to come out and he needs to wave his hands and he needs to do some kind of incantation. And, and then when it didn't happen, it was just like, oh, my gosh, this can't be real. You know, this, this, this is not going to work because it's not spectacular. And I think we do that sometimes. We, we pray and say, OK, God, you know, you need to do this and you know, let's let's do it big. You know, you, you do a miracle here and you do something uh, amazing here. And, you know, if you're not going to, we're almost saying if we're going to put you in this little box, God, and if you don't operate within the box, then you're not really being God. And that's a really dangerous place to be, obviously. Yeah. But if you look through scripture, most of the time people experience God through the ordinary, everyday, obedient things that they do in life. They don't, they don't, there are the spectacular things. We do see that there are miracles that happen and there are there are angelic appearances and there are things like that. But by and large, the people grew closer to God because they obeyed God and they were faithful to God and they had proper expectations. They knew that God could do whatever God wanted to do, however God wanted to do it. And I think that would be a good tip for us today, too, is to remember that, you know, God can God is God. 
and he can do whatever he wants and he can do it however he wants. And it doesn't always have to be the light show and the lasers and the fireworks. It can, it can just be the simple quiet things too. That might be an interesting question for us to kick around in our groups. Why are we more interested in having a good story than we are going home, not a leper? Um, because we would be in that same category. We could do it where we say, hey, Naaman was more interested in, in having a good story than he was in going home being a leper at this point. How do we see that happening in our world today? And then from there, move into the conversation about how we do that. Um, how we fall into that same trap where we want a story more than we necessarily want what happens in the story, right. uh, the end result, and keep that in mind. You mentioned the servants. God right. used two unnamed people. We have no idea who these two people were, the servant girl and the messenger. We have no idea who they are, but they're unnamed here. and They play a key role. How can that uh, help us communicate to our class the significance of the unnamed in the Bible. It might be interesting. Uh, it might be interesting for a leader to step in to start out and say, "Okay, who is your favorite Bible character?" And just kind of ask that, opening up. And my guess is you're going to get names like Jesus <laughs> and David and Paul. Moses. Moses. You're right. You know, you're going to get you're going to get those kind of you know, maybe maybe John or Peter. Mm-hmm. You're going to get those kind of responses. You're not going to get the slave girl. <laughs> you're not going to get the anonymous uh, Syrian servant. You're not going to get military guy. You're not going to get those things. Um, and, and but I think this this is a great reminder sometimes that anonymous does not mean useless. Uh, and the, the Bible is full of anonymous people, people who we have no idea who they are, unnamed prophets, unnamed people who we don't know who they are by their name, but we know what they did and their messages and their actions honored God and glorified God just as much as the big time people that we that we normally associate with. So anonymous is not useless. So as we think about that, how do we help that? How do we help our, our, our learners kind of get a handle on that? Well, I would encourage folks to maybe take, think about three action steps. Uh, one is to recognize that God can use all kinds of people. Um, you know, the, this, this, this Hebrew slave girl, she had no reputation. Uh, and in fact, she, the the term that she would, the term young, or I think it's young, that is used in the text, can actually mean insignificant. And so, you know, there's there's a sense in which she just has no legs to stand on. But she knew God, and she knew Elijah, or Elisha, excuse me. She knew God. She knew Elisha, and she knew that she needed to tell. And that was enough for God to use her. And this other guy he probably wasn't a God follower at all. He was probably a pagan Syrian soldier, just like his boss was, but he had enough common sense. I had a professor in seminary who used to say that all, all truth is God's truth. <laughs> even if, even if it comes from wacky sources, it's still God's truth because God owns it. So, you know, we can, we can recognize that God can use even, you know, he used a donkey in one case that's <laughs> just to share truth. And so he can use all kinds of things. Uh, so that's one thing. Recognize that God uses all kinds of people and be alert to that. The other is that we need to see who these hidden people are in our lives because they are all around us. Um, there are people that we come across every day who are just heads down, quietly, no fanfare, doing their thing for God. And we need to honor those people. We need to let them know that their ministry makes a difference. It's made a difference in our lives as individuals. We're better people because of, of them. 
and our church is a better church because of them. And we need to figure out who those people are and just let them know because nobody may ever tell them. And they're not looking for accolades and they're not looking for pats on the back probably, but it'll be really encouraging for them to know that, that they've made a difference in the kingdom uh, through the things that they do. And I think the third thing that we can look at is how might God want to use us in one of these hidden roles? Uh, if you're a teacher, you've got a platform. If you're a pastor, you've got a platform. If you're a staff member, you've got a platform. You, you've, got a, you've got some attention. But how can, how can you invest in the kingdom in one of the quieter ways? How can, how can you become one of the hidden people in other areas? Not the teaching and not the preaching and not, you know, if you, if you are the chairman of a powerful committee in the, in the church or whatever, those, those, those things are necessary and they're good. But how can you also kind of step back and find quieter ways to serve the kingdom and become one of these hidden people yourself? That's, that's a humbling idea. But it's, it's something that, that God may, may really impress on your heart. Because uh, whether you do the big stuff or the small stuff, and I, my mind goes back to, to Paul discussing the body of Christ and how some of the parts of the body are really spectacular and they, they're easily seen and they draw a lot of attention. And, but those hidden parts are also important. And anything that moves the kingdom forward is important in God's agenda. And so how can, we, how can we do that? How can we honor the people who are already in those roles? And how can we fulfill some of those roles ourselves? One of the challenges of service, serving others is finding a way to serve people in a, such a way so there's no way they would know you actually did it. Uh, that's a spiritual discipline part of, or actually within spiritual discipline of serving. And that's an interesting challenge yeah. is can you find a project or something, an action you can take where there's no way that person would know you did it? And would you still do it? And how would you feel about that where you would never be able to tell them that you did it or anybody else for that matter? Would you still do that act of service? That's an interesting challenge, an interesting question to think about is how does that help you? The anonymous action, how does that help us understand more fully what a true disciple of Christ is, and help us understand these two people. They're unnamed here, but they play a significant role in this story. Absolutely. I will say that from my experience, some of the most fun I've ever had as a Christian is doing stuff that nobody could ever trace back to me, and then watching the results happen. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you anonymously give a kid enough money to go to student camp. And the joy that they have <laughs> because they get to go when they weren't going to get to go before or, or a mission trip or a choir trip or something like that. Or, you know, just paying somebody's electricity bill or, or, you know, just doing some of these things. Those are all financial. There's other things, other finances, but just the secret things, they're fun <laughs> because you get to be a little devious, <laughs> you, get to, you know, but, and, and you know, it, it, I, I'd get, I would encourage people to give it a try if they haven't. Uh, one of the things that I noticed in our conversation is trying to keep Elijah and Elisha straight. Yes. yes. Um, when I, uh, one class I took uh, in college was an Old Testament survey class. And the final was on the, in the final was a set of 20 questions. And the answer was either A, Elijah had this action listed. And then A was Elijah and B was Elisha. And that was, like I said, that was 20 questions out of the, the test. Yes. And I have not forgotten that class at all. Um, but one of the things I think will help folks is we've included a pack item. Uh, it's pack item number four, and it's a map, and it's entitled Elijah and Elisha. 
and it has uh, different places noted where Elijah did things and where Elisha did things, and they're color coded. Elijah, the thing, his actions are in a kind of a light green color, and then Elisha's are in a yellow color. And one of the things on there uh, is Naaman being cleansed of leprosy. It's noted uh, on the map, so you would know that because it's yellow, that that's something that's tied to Elisha. So that's a way that we could help our class keep those two. Uh, men and their lives separate, if at least maybe in our mind and in their actions. Uh, Bob, one more thing that I would bring up here. We have this, we have a healing that takes place. How do we compare uh, to what happens today and what should we make of Naaman being healed the way he was healed? The best place to start with that is to understand the context again. Um, this was a physical healing, but the emphasis is really on the spiritual healing the fact that Naaman had an experience with God and that really changed his life. Um, and so while, yes, he, he lost his leprosy, it's really more about his obedience and, and the change that God made in his life before that. <clears throat> but I don't want to, I don't want to diminish the idea of physical healing either. Uh, you know, this is a really tough uh, subject. It's a sensitive to a topic especially in the, the kind of world that we're in today where, where we've been for two years into a pandemic and uh, you know, some folks have lost loved ones and others have, the pandemic has caused them to think about their own mortality. And so, you know, it, it is something that the church needs to wrestle with right now. And this is a time that, that we can do that, maybe point people to Jesus uh, because of that. But it, it is it's very strange because I wish I had some easy answers for people who's who've gone through this and, and maybe God didn't heal. You know, I've got, I've got a prayer list that I use that right now there are people who are sick who are on that prayer list and I'm praying for their healing. I've also got people on that prayer list that I'm praying that God comforts them because they've lost someone significant to them recently. Uh, and so yeah, how do you balance that? I think there's a couple of things you can say. One is, Please, please, we have to affirm that, yes, God absolutely can heal. The, the same God that we serve is the God that healed Naaman. And so he has not lost any of his power. He's not lost, lost any of his authority. He's not, not lost any of his sovereignty. He still created the human body. He still controls the human body. He still has the power to heal. Why doesn't he? Sometimes you got to stop and think two things. Number one why did he heal people in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Why did he perform those miracles? Well, because they needed to see him as God. And that was how he did that. The writer of Hebrews says that in more recent days, God has revealed himself through Jesus, through his son. And so the miraculous may not be as necessary now because we have the written revelation of God along with the walking revelation of God in the person of Jesus. And so miracles, while while they can still happen, and I don't deny that, they may not be as necessary for God to reveal himself as they used to be. The other thing is that, but the fact is that we don't always understand. No. Uh, and we can't. And we're not going to. And so when I look at my prayer list, you know, you and I have a friend, had a friend, Royce Armstrong, just passed away. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know why God chose to take Royce. It, it doesn't mean that as I was praying for Royce before he passed away, that, that I didn't pray hard enough or that I didn't have enough faith. 
It just means that I don't understand what God's up to. And I can't because I'm human. My responsibility is to pray for healing. And when God doesn't heal, to pray for comfort. And so, you know, that's a responsibility that we have. Um, and well, yeah, and part I, of that, too, is we have a definition of what healing is. Exactly. Naaman had a definition of what healing is, but that wasn't what he ended up getting. And so even though his yes. leprosy was taken away, we really later on him pronouncing, making this declaration about God being the only true God and those mm -hmm. type of things and asking for forgiveness for going into a temple um, that was for a worship for someone for a, an idol. Mm -hmm. And uh, we see him making this declaration of faith and he was healed before the declaration of faith was made, by the way. So uh, we have to keep that in mind too. The timing is important of here. Uh, we do not know. That's the hardest thing is we do not know what God is up to and how he defines healing is not always the same way we define it. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's a really great way to say it. The hardest thing for me to deal with is people asking me why after doing a funeral for a, a child, a baby, that's the hardest thing for me to deal with. And I don't know the answer. I just know God is good. He loves us. He cares for us. He's got a plan and I don't know what that plan is. And I'm glad I'm not the one in charge of it. But I'm going to keep trusting God because he's good. And I, I don't, I'm not smart enough or wise enough to understand what good means. I just don't know what that means. It, it's, it's a lot. It's very comforting to understand that we, we serve a God who is strong enough to be in control and who has promised us that, that this is not all there is, you know, and, and that this isn't the end of the story as, as much as it hurts. And, yeah. and I've gone through that recently. My, within the last year, I've lost my mom. I, I, I've tried to figure out, you know, why I prayed for her too. I don't know why God didn't didn't do anything. Uh, and, and, but yeah, I know where she is, yeah. and I'm okay with that. Um, I'm just trusting Him to to one of these days show me what how all the pieces fall together. Until that time, it's just really hard. Yeah, Bob, thank you for sharing with us today. Walking down that hard path too. Uh, everyone listening has experienced the death of someone and not have any answers. You mentioned your mom. My dad passed away a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago now, um, from cancer, and it was quick. And, you know, there's a part of me, there's days when I wake up and I, I miss him. I forget, you know, I, there's something I'd love to, to say to him, and he, I can't do that. But I also realize that I really don't want him here right now. He's having too much fun in heaven. Um, with with all the folks who've passed on before him and he's getting to see some people and some things and doing some things that that he's, he's already enjoying and I sure would not wish for him to still be here uh, and miss out on what he's enjoying right now now that doesn't mean I want to go there today and see him but it does remind me there's a different perspective we need to keep in mind uh, when we think about what we're you know the, our 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 pain and what they would miss out by them still being here. And so I, I keep that in my mind to help me think through my uh, missing of my dad. So, uh, and I know you, you and I have talked about that before. We keep that in our minds. So, yeah. Thank you all for listening to us today. Bob, thank you for being with us. Uh, if you have comments or questions that you're welcome to send me an email at Dwayne.McCrary at Lifeway.com. That's D-W-A-Y-N-E dot m-c-c-r-e-r-y -E at lifeway.com i'll do my best to answer your question if i don't know the answer i'll find the right person who can answer your question and get y'all connected join us next week bob's gonna be with us again 
be looking at 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 1 through 15, and looking at the idea that God can be trusted to provide our needs.